Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Franz Bosch. So Franz had a diverse career, he's worked with elite sprinters and Olympic high jumpers. He also works as a lecturer at Fontys University for Applied Sciences in Sport. He's given numerous presentations throughout the world and worked internationally as a sport performance consultant. This podcast is brought to you by Hawking Dynamics, the world leader in innovative force plate technology. Hawking Dynamics takes a user-centric approach, featuring a fully customizable cloud-based software that allows users to easily digest and analyze complex force plate data. The technology is constantly evolving, much like an app update for your iPhone. They communicate with users on a daily basis to make their system better. In addition to all of that, they also offer some of the most competitive prices for bilateral force plates on the market, and they're the only force plate company offering a completely wireless system. So, if you want to find out more, check out the easy intro to force plate section at www.hawkingdynamics.com forward slash blog. So Franz Bosch, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. So... You look at movement from a pretty different perspective to, to most coaches, right? Could you give us a quick one to two minute explanation of, uh, of how that looks? Well, um, so I'm interested in sports specific training. So I'm not interested in, uh, in, in uh, aesthetics or uh, all these fit boys and fit girls you see in the gym. I'm interested in how you can apply this in, uh, in sports specific settings. Uh, that means that I look at what is the most important factor that's out there, and that's the question of transfer, transfer and specificity. And that happens to be the least developed part of our understanding. So we haven't got a clue, actually, about uh, uh, transfer of training. And uh, a lot of claims that are out there are based on nothing. So what I started to do is look at uh, training and, and uh, from that perspective. So how should transfer work and uh, that leads to a bit of a different approach in, in how you look at, at exercises, training, and so on. In, in your communication prior to the podcast, you mentioned that actually agility is kind of a vehicle to express how to analyze movement. Um, can you explain a little bit more detail how your views on agility and movement differ from traditional means? So in the previous books, the 10 pages on attractors of agility, and uh, I thought that would be a topic that uh, needed much more explanation. So I wrote a, a new book, 400 pages, on how you look at movement and how you analyze movement. So agility is just a vehicle I took. It's, uh, it, it seems to be a chaotic um, when you look at it, especially, well, when you look at rugby or football. Uh, but if you look at uh, how it should be organized, uh, actually self-organized, it needs to be done on a very solid and not very complicated structure. So what I try to find, figure out is what that structure is, what's behind all this chaos uh, that you see on the fields. And what's behind it is a rather simple structure, I think, uh, with fixed components that pop up in all kinds of different aspects of agility and trying to understand that and analyze that, uh, that's what the new book is about. So you, yeah, so the, the fixed elements of, uh, in this example, agility are attractors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you explain what some of the key attractors are? Yeah, well, actually, I, I wrote a uh, curriculum for Welsh rugby a couple of years ago 
on anything that happens on the field except for tackling and scrimmaging. So the things that are not running related. So a curriculum on anything that's running related. That can be acceleration, top speed, catch pass, jumping, uh, anything like that. And what I found is that with eight different components, you actually can build all agility. Uh, the problem with these components are that they are fairly abstract principles. Uh, for instance, one is the way you bring your foot to the ground, uh, called foot plant from above. And the abstract part in it is that uh, if you plant your foot on the ground, there will be a ground reaction force that not just has a magnitude, but also a certain direction. And the principle is that you bring your foot to the ground along the line of the ground reaction force that will occur. So that's fairly abstract. But it's something that, uh, let's say, uh, is valid in all different aspects of uh, agility. It works in single leg jumping, it works in the sidestep, the stop and go, and so on. So when you've, when you've got, as a practitioner, these attractors, and you can look to, to train them, of course, yeah. how, how would you go about training this kind of movement? Well, um, the, the only way to get these abstract principles in place is using uh, modern ideas about motor learning. For instance, that the system only wants to learn something if you can prove that it's valid in many, many situations. So you need a different uh, differential learning approach for that. Um, the system is also only interested in learning if it is result-orientated. So you are, uh, have to get knowledge of result in there. And uh, in order to cater for all these different aspects of motor learning, you have to use very clever tricks like feeding the error. So if somebody makes an error, don't try to correct it, but try to make it worse. And then the body will uh, figure out that it cannot apply this everywhere and will try to look for an alternative. So uh, it's not very that much that your direct people exactly to where you want them to go. Uh, you take a theme, this is the attractor that I want to improve on, and you let the body experience uh, all different modes of it and all different uh, uh, aspects of it, and whether it uh, has a, a general quality or not, and so on. So you need to know a lot about motor learning and modern ideas about motor learning as well. So how would you go about putting that in a, in a training session, right? There's going to be coaches listening who are like, okay, this, this sounds, yeah. it sounds interesting. It sounds uh, useful. How would you go yeah. about putting that into practice? Well, for instance, uh, a lot of these attractors are based on co-contractions because co-contractions can at a very peripheral level correct errors. And therefore, you have to change exercises in such a way that these co-contractions will emerge. And you can do it with in three ways. So one is uh, with pretension, which means that, and that's the first thing I did when I started work for Welsh Rugby, try to forbid any counter movement because counter movement is just a lazy way of solving the problem uh, and, and getting uh, rid of the, the problem of having to build co-contractions. The second way is with perturbations. Uh, what, we, what I do a lot is, in, for instance, in the gym, uh, have some plates hanging from elastic bands from a bar. So you have perturbations all the time. You use a lot of aqua bags, stuff like that. And the third one is time pressure. 
uh, if the body has very little time to uh, get it right, it will go to co-contractions and build them in properly. So you can change your exercises in those ways with these three principles. And with those, you actually uh, will give the body tools to build these attractors the way you want them. So you mentioned uh, that you get rid of all counter movements. Is that something that you, you remove completely from all aspects of training or is that specifically to the training that you're implementing? Now, see, what, what needs to be done in training is that uh, the, the task you have to solve in training is more difficult than in the task you do in a match. And uh, in a match, let's say if you're a football player, uh, it's all about time pressure, how quickly you can do something, Right. And that means that if you can make a counter movement and then move forward, that you lose a lot of time. So actually, if you do a counter movement, uh, then you make it easier than the task somebody has to execute in, in a match at the highest level. And that doesn't make any sense. So if I want to teach somebody to be quicker, have a better rate of force development, so on, then uh, eliminating counter movements is the first step to do. Otherwise, too easy. Okay, interesting. Very interesting. So, principles like this have uh, have divided strength and conditioning a little bit, um, and you've polarized a lot of opinions. What What's your opinion on that polarization? Uh, I think it comes from a very much from a historical perspective. So, if you look at uh, where strength and conditioning has originated from, it's from exercise physiologists, and it's from people from uh, power sports from weightlifting, uh, uh, other heavy resistance sports. And actually, that group of people is the people who have the least understanding by nature of movement. So uh, uh, being a, a, a power sport lifter uh, doesn't have much requirements for movement. Uh, even, let's say, Olympic lifting is not as complicated as everybody thinks. Uh, so these people actually have no scope or very little scope on um, the complexity of on-field movement, like running and, and what happens in, in in ball sports and things like that. Uh, and that has led to a very mechanistic way of looking at, um, at, at training and transfers. So they took transfers almost for granted. And um, that has led to an approach where you have to do sets and reps and stuff like that. And these uh, perceived or uh, estimated uh, mechanisms of how things transfer that you can see in classic training. Uh, and uh, everybody who knows movement, uh, whether you're a track and field coach uh, who works with, uh, with technical events or you're a basketball coach or you instantly know that uh, it's, it's different. There is not that transfer is not happening the way these people claim it does and that sets and reps don't mean anything. So uh, that has pissed a lot of people off, obviously, if you <laughs> say, listen to what you've done. Uh, doesn't make any sense because you're actually not the most qualified people to understand movement. Uh, uh, that happened with a group of people. They're, they're pissed off. But another group of people are really relieved because now they can throw these silly or stupid or dumb uh, protocols aside and can start thinking for themselves. 
you know, uh, that's what I what I experience. So I meet a lot of people uh, who say, ah, oh, well, this has given me so much freedom to start thinking for myself. And that's actually what I want. That's, that's quite empowering as well to, to help people think in different ways. Um, I have yeah. about a thousand questions off the back of that, but uh, what I want yeah. to start with Go ahead. is... Shoot. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm worried that we're going to be here all day else, but um, right, the, the first one for me is uh, you've, you've got this uh, different way of thinking, um, yeah. and you said, okay, for example, powerlifting uh, doesn't relate to sport performance. I think most people will generally agree that that's, uh, that's the case for most sports. Yeah. Um, do you not use any traditional strength exercises, or is it all 100% the stuff that, that you're, um, you've written about in, in your books until now? Are you not using, for example, a, a standard squat? No, no. Listen, um, in a standard squat or whatever you do, there's also a, a part of coordination in there, and there's also a possibility for transfer. But what you have to look at is uh, what are the positives of these transfers, but also what are the negatives? That's one of the, the Achilles heels weak points of classic strength training. You never see a list of negative effects that it has, right? So what you need to do is to be aware of those and then see how much of it that you do. For instance, one very interesting thing in, uh, you can see in athletics, if you go back to the 80s, 90s, right? And you see how much strength training a pole vaulter will be doing in winter. And you compared with how much strength training they do these days. These days, they do one-third of what they did in the old, in those days. And what you see with the best coaches that I know uh, is that they do two sessions, one with a little bit heavier weight where you do some of these basic exercises like squats or whatever, right? And one where you work with complex, very quick movement patterns that are based on uh, rate of force development. And the reason behind this shift in thinking and shift in practical application is that actually heavy resistance training is very bad for rate of force development without resistance. And therefore, you have positive and negatives, and you have to balance those. So I know one sprinter in the Netherlands who, if he would do one heavy resistance training in summer, his whole season was ruined. Other people are much more resilient and they can handle much more. They're more robust. So uh, I would not say that you have to throw it aside. It's only that more is not better. You have to see where the tipping point is between the positives and the negatives. I think that's a, that's a nice balance in opinion as well. I think especially for a, a polarized uh, approach, that's a nice piece of balance as well to put in there, to have the consideration at least that there are pros and cons to, to everything that you do. This podcast is also brought to you by Gymware. Gymware have Flex. Flex is the latest product to enter the world of velocity-based training and is developed by the team at Gymware. Flex is the only laser-based system available and it's this unique technology that makes Flex the most accurate and reliable barbell tracking product in the sub-500 US dollar category. It's wireless, portable and specifically designed for individual use with its own social platform and automatic training lock. Flex captures all the critical performance and technique metrics that people demand from a velocity-based training device. Velocity, power, bar path, range of motion, and even bar position. Live feedback is delivered through the Flex app on every lift, 
and the data is automatically stored for review. Find out why VBT is such a powerful training method and what separates Flex from the competition at flexstronger.com forward slash VBT future. What what is your what's your response to a lot of the criticism that that comes out of oh, okay yeah but this doesn't um it does it's not effective it doesn't work enough what how how do you react to that kind of stuff? Uh, well, I came across a lot of situations where this did work very well. I would say, for instance, the the most interesting experiment I've been part of was. Japan rugby in 2015, preparation for the World Cup. Uh, with all the backs, they abandoned all the classic strength training and only did this stuff. And I would say that they performed reasonably well at the World Cup. <laughs> I think they did. Right? Yeah. So, uh, and I hear that from many more people who work with this, that uh, the effects uh, can be, if you, if you apply it properly, can be very, very positive, very well work very well also in injury reductions and things like that so um, if people experience that it doesn't work then maybe it's their application that isn't that good and uh, how will they go out improving their application of it so you've got some resources out there and some courses um, yeah. what's, what's the biggest thing that coaches can do to, to learn about this and improve themselves study 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 I mean, uh, I've been teaching at a university for applied science and sports. And if there's a group of people that are too lazy to study or don't want to study, it's people in sports. Uh, <laughs> why, uh, why do you think that is? Uh, because it's, uh, it's their escape route. I mean, even in Japan, I got that comment from people, you know. Sports students don't want to, le- want to, t- want to study. You know? They just want to play sports and, you know make it easy for themselves. So uh, I see it also in courses that I give with physiotherapists. They have much more, uh, let's say, in their back on knowledge and what they've studied and been reading than you see with, with coaches, for uh, S&C coaches. And to be honest, that's a, a fair criticism to s and It's uh, They take it too easy. So if you study, 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 uh, then uh, you'll start seeing things and you will find a different way of doing things. And you don't need to follow me, let's say, from A to Z. You know, you can go your own way, but uh, it has to be based on a lot of knowledge. See, it, this is a very complicated field, right? Uh, adaptations and, 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 and things like that. And uh, there is uh, not for no reason, no weekend course brain surgery. Uh, you don't do that. It's, uh, you have to study a long time before you really get a grip on it. And also, this is a very young profession. It's only there for 40 years. So the idea that we are close to a finish line is nonsense as well. You know, We still haven't got a clue, as I started with, with, with things like transfer and specificity. You'll find a proper book about tra- uh, specificity. It's not out there. Well, hopefully you're uh, plugging some of those gaps as well. So if it's not uh, if it's not already there, hopefully in the coming years we can see more and more and, uh, and maybe more research as well. I think that's one of the two things that I still want to still want to touch on. Um, yeah. The the research which there's one one interesting remark J P Moran made um, 
in, in Dublin when we were on the conference. He said um, our macro uh, perspective on movement, so just reading outside forces and so on, probably never ever will give us a good insight on what we're doing. We also need the micro aspects of movement. So there's a lot of research that needs to be done in that area as well. Uh, and I, I agree with you that um, there's a lot of research that has to be done in order to get a really grip on it. And is that is that research being done? A uh, little, little bit, yeah, yeah. Uh, there was uh, there was one guy who did some research on that. Uh, I know in Belgium they did research with, uh, with with football players, and they found a correlation between hamstring injuries and lack of control of the pelvic area. And uh, so there's there's more and more people who start to delve into this a little bit more. Yeah, ah, that's positive, very positive. Yeah. And I want to touch very quickly on uh, one thing that you mentioned earlier, and that was uh, there's there's potentially no more need for sets and reps. Can you explain a little bit about what you mean by that? Um, well, if you look at the sport-specific training that I do for explosive sports, most of it is based on neuromuscular uh, loading. So we're not that interested anymore in, in muscular loading. Uh, hypertrophy doesn't have a place anymore in, in explosive sports like uh, field sports, even in athletics. Uh, so the focus on, on muscle fibers and so on is greatly reduced. It's much more on neuromuscular aspects, on, on uh, neural drive, on uh, coordination and so on. And if you're uh, trained that way, you very quickly find that there's a very logical way of, or a very logical moment in which you should, should stop because you, after five, six reps, you'll fall off the cliff. And uh, there's also uh, no value in the progression with heavier and heavier weights. Uh, I made that mistake myself when I started to work with Welsh rugby. I thought, okay, with my high jumpers, I use for this exercise, 30, 40, 50 kilos. Let's do 60 with rugby players because they're much stronger, right? And uh, after a year, I came to the conclusion that I shouldn't go higher with rugby players. I should go lower with rugby players. Why? Because their rate of force development was not as good as uh, with, with high jumpers. And therefore, with a lighter weight, that rate of force development would be much more under, under pressure. So uh, the, the, the progressions that you can read everywhere as being a progression is only a progression in one aspect of the whole movement pattern. There might be a regression in another, another one. So therefore, having, let's say, tables that go from this amount of sets and reps to this amount of sets of reps and so on uh, never, never works for the individual. I think it's a. I think a lot of people can agree with that as well, right? Like, there's no yeah. one set and rep scheme which is going to solve everything for you. Yeah. Um, and how does that tie into coordinative aspects? So you're you're looking at training coordination. Um, yeah. How how do you then uh, know when to stop uh, an exercise? So you've got a, a set, for example. Um, mm. How do you know when you need to not do any more of that? Well, what I always said to my athletes: stop as soon as you feel that its uh, quality drops. You know, uh, and I even let them put on the weight on the bar themselves. Uh, 
and they were much better at it than I was because they would sense immediately, oh, no, I don't need 45 kilos, I need 40 kilos, you know, or today I even go lower because I feel I can do it quicker. And then uh, the number of, of reps they did that they feel instantaneously that one more extra rep doesn't make any sense. They also know exactly how long uh, the rest period should be, you know. Uh, it's, it's, if you have, uh, say, athletes that can think for themselves a little bit, it's not a problem at all. I think uh, that's a difficult thing for some people, the, uh, the athletes that can think for themselves. But, uh, hey, we all want our group of, uh, of perfect trainers, right? No, no, I think uh, it's something that you can learn very quickly as an athlete. I would say within three weeks, everybody is capable of doing that. It's just being, let's say, confident that uh, your intuition uh, gives you the right, uh, let's say, approach. Yeah, I think we underestimate that leads. And have you got any tips for doing that? Uh, yeah, well, for instance, you say, okay, you do... Um, a number of reps, right? After each rep, you give a number to the quality of that rep, right? And um, at the moment that that number drops, you stop. And then when somebody stops, you know, you can, as a coach, say, okay, but where are the numbers you're giving? And say, well, seven, eight, seven, five, seven, seven. I said, well... I thought a five was a four, or the last one was still good, where you said it was a four. And then you negotiate the quality of uh, what you do with the athlete. You're not telling him what the quality was. And that way, you very, very, very quickly get a, that an athlete has feeling for it. I think that's I a, a fantastic piece of advice. I'm definitely going to take that one with me and, uh, and use that when uh, Corona's yeah. over and we can, uh, we can train again. Yeah, from from motor learning perspective, this is also very important because um, what many coaches do wrong is that they try to give an athlete as quick and as uh, as much feedback as possible. Uh, but there's two streams of feedback going on: always the feedback within the athlete and the feedback from the coach, right? And you cannot add those two up; they're always antagonistic. The more feedback a coach gives, and the quicker he gives it, the more the feedback within the body will disappear. And the feedback within the body is the most important one. That's why a coach should always delay his feedback and always should try to make the feedback from the body surface. So that's, that's one of these strategies you can use. Ask the athlete, okay, what's your feeling about it? What's your opinion about it? And then it doesn't matter whether that's right or a little bit off or maybe completely off. As long as the thing's surfacing, that's valuable. So uh, that's a mistake a lot of coaches make, is that they throw in their feedback as much and as quick as possible, which is not right. Oh, very interesting, very interesting. Um, in terms of time, we're, we're a little bit pushed, and I'm going to get uh, told off if we uh, keep talking too long. Um, yep. Can you give us a quick 30-second summary of what we discussed today? Uh, well, my summary is that uh, if you're in a sport-specific ses- uh, setting, that the main question you should ask yourself is transfer. Uh, does this really transfer to what I want to improve? 
and uh, more is not better because uh, if there's positives, there's always negatives. So you have to balance the positives and the negatives. That would be 30 seconds. I think that's uh, easy 30 seconds. I can still talk now and it's not 30 seconds. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, right then, that's it. So Franz Bosch, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a, a really interesting conversation. I've really enjoyed it and I'm sure everyone has at home too. So thank you very much for that. Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, one more thing. Um, the English version of the book will be uh, available within a couple of weeks. So for people who are interested in, it's called Anatomy of Agility. Fantastic. Uh, and the, 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 your previous books were? Um, strength Training and Coordination. And the one before that, the old one, is called Running. Just Running? Yeah, Running. Yeah, Exercise <laughs> Physiology and blah, blah, blah. Uh, subtitle. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, so uh, if you need that book, I think you might do after this uh, interesting conversation, then uh, be sure to go and uh, give that one a quick Google. Okay. Bosch, it's been a pleasure. Uh, thank you very much, and I look forward My to pleasure. speaking to you soon. Okay, thank you. Cheers. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Franz for all of his hard work in today's podcast. I really appreciate it, and I'm sure you do at home too. So having discussed loads of different topics related to sport performance today, I want to point you in the direction of our five must-read research reviews on sport performance. And that was free to download in the notes. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Franz for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next time.